just embracing the idea that this is an obstacle, clearly, but there's so much you can learn from it. There's ways that you can reframe this conversation, but also the relationship with the customer moving forward and how you're going to respond to what might not have been a great call. And too often, I think in, in sales and in life, we just like, oh, that sucked. Like, I, I'm just going to go, you know, whatever, right? And sort of push it aside and not embrace the hard stuff. And a lot of times the hard stuff are those hard calls. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Dan Horowitz and Tom Eschbacher. Dan is a senior sales director with LinkedIn. Tom is a senior sales manager for LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Now, this is a fun conversation today because we're talking about something that's a little bit different than the topics we normally talk about. We're talking about stoicism in sales and the lessons that sellers can learn from the teachings of the, of the Stoics. I know many of you have already read uh, Ryan Holiday's book, The Daily Stoic. Well, we dive right into learning what Stoicism is and how it originated. It's always good to have the origin story. And sort of frame it. Here's a quote from Marcus Aurelius, who is a Stoic. All you need are these in life. Certainty of judgment in the present moment, action for the common good in the present moment, and an attitude of gratitude in the present moment for anything that comes your way. And then we talk about the principles of stoicism that can be applied to selling. Dan and Tom boil them, boil them down to three actions. Control your perceptions, direct your actions, and willingly accept. So we're going to then dive into the details of how you apply each of these three to your selling. So we get into all of that and much, much more. But before we get to Dan and Tom, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review Give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Dan and Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Good to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. So uh, Dan Horowitz, why don't you start off? Tell us what you do at LinkedIn. Happy to, Andy. So I've been at LinkedIn for about six years, and uh, I run a number of our North American sales teams Mm -hmm. within the marketing solutions part of of LinkedIn. So a number of different business units at LinkedIn where the the, the, the team that works with marketers sell advertising natively on the platform. Got it. Got it. And Tom, how about you? Yeah, so similar to Dan, uh, we work closely together in the marketing solutions department. And I lead an org focused on helping high-growth startups find success, acquire customers, and, and drive ROI with our ad platform. Perfect. Okay. Um, well, we're, I'm excited because we're going to talk about something we've never talked about on this show, uh, nearly a thousand episodes, which is fantastic, is we're going to talk about stoicism and sales. So, um, now by stoicism, stoicism, easy for me to say, is, yeah, we're not talking about the stoicism that I knew when I was growing up in the Midwest, which was, you know, we hold in our emotions and we don't talk about anything. Um <laughs> We're talking about something different. So, either one of you. Let's start with Dan. So, tell us about stoicism. Um, Tom is actually our, our our best intro for for a little bit of history well, on stoicism. Yeah, but I think Tom, just before Tom can do it, we'll we'll put, we'll kick it to Tom. Yeah. So you know, three hundred BC, a wealthy merchant is uh, making a voyage, and he shipwrecks outside of Greece and loses everything. He's stranded from home makes his way into a bookstore in Athens and uh, starts paging through philosophy pamphlets and realizes that 
what he thought was an obstacle in losing everything he had was in fact an opportunity. And mm -hmm. he you know, goes down to the Stoa and begins speaking with other uh, philosophers of the day and forms this philosophy of Stoicism that becomes one of the dominant philosophies for nearly 500 years, influences everyone from uh, emperors like Marcus Aurelius to mm -hmm. uh, impoverished people, uh, a famous Stoic philosopher is Epictetus, who spent the first 30 years of his life in slavery. And it really appealed, this philosophy really appealed for its practicality and uh, the avoidance of negative feelings and emotions, uh, helping people in the pursuit of the good life. Okay. So how has that now sort of migrated into, into sales? I mean, what's, tell us sort of the basic tenets that, that uh, and we'll get into the details of it, but just on an introduction of the tenets that are important for salespeople. Yeah, so, you know, I was uh, listening to the podcast you did with Ryan Gottfordson again recently, and he talked a lot about success oh. mindsets, right? Yep, and, yeah, I love his, I love his stuff. And so a lot of how Dan and I approach Stoic principles builds off of what Ryan was talking about. So mindsets are things that we can change fairly easily. And we feel in Stoicism, there are several principles that sales professionals can adopt to help them you know, lay the groundwork for a successful career. Um, and, mm -hmm. and so a couple of them that we frequently go through and we can you know, dive in today in depth is, is how you perceive things, how you accept things, and how you observe things. And they each have applications in our daily lives as, as B2B sellers. Right. So in general, one of the main things seems to be that, and I've you know, read some of Brian Holiday's uh, you know, Daily Stoic and so on, is, is that it's about focusing our energies on what's under our control and not, not wasting on those things that aren't under our control. It's 100% right, right? But I think where it really connects to, to sales, to sales mindset, and, and coming back to many of your podcasts, you know, there, there, there are so many wonderful discussions around sales competencies. We have our own sales competencies at LinkedIn that are, that are fantastic. Sales methodologies, how you apply those competencies uh, as effectively as possible to drive value for your customer. But if you don't have the right mindset, you can't be effective, as effective as you could be, because mm -hmm. you are trying to control for things that are actually outside of your control. So right. Typically, a, 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 a salesperson might be thinking about trying to uh, hit or exceed their quota as being something that they think is in their control, when in reality, and we can certainly talk about it, it's the thing that's the least in their control. It's their mindset and the actions that they take that are informed by that mindset that give them the best opportunities. So you, you, you can talk to reps about, hey, focus on inputs versus outputs, you know, see every obstacle as an opportunity. But if you do that within the framework of a storytelling philosophy like Stoicism, you actually get people to remember, you get people to engage, you get people to ask questions, you get people to continuously learn. And so they're learning the things that you might hope they learned in a discussion about mindset, but they're doing it in a way that, that sticks with them and that, and that hopefully they can continue to advance their their uh, their interest and knowledge in the topic as well. Yeah, I mean this this plays into a an idea that you know I'm pushing um, that I think is really missing in in sales, and I've brought up on podcasts before in the past is that uh, 
Yeah, we, we assume when we bring people into sales, especially younger people that are you know, starting their career, and we ask them to do these things that are sort of require a fair amount of just sort of basic human skills, let alone sales competencies, that we assume they have those human skills. And so what we do, we do then is we just throw them into sales training. And then they wonder why they're struggling. Or if it had, and it may not happen to them right away. It could happen to them after five years or ten years. You know, I've encounter people that reach out to me for help that been in business for you know a couple of decades, and they're they're struggling with this. And what's missing is just some of these, you know, core human skills, not you know sales competencies. And so, it seems to me like we need to invest. Whether it's you know talking about some philosophy, and you know Stoicism's not a religious thing; it's it's not offensive you know to anybody of particular faith. But don't we need to spend more time? I guess my question is is before we teach people to become salespeople, is help them become better humans first. I think that uh, one of the things that you need to do before you can become a better human, which you need to do before you can become a better seller is you still have to have the right mindset. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I tell a story, which Tom knows really well, uh, about, um, and I see that I got to work with it about three years ago, and he'd actually been a seller for, for about five years, but had um, come onto a new team and didn't have the best onboarding onto that team. And by the time he and I started working together, you know, he was pacing at like 40% uh, to the quarter with like six weeks left to go in the quarter. And I remember asking him, you know, when you come into work in the morning, what's the first thing that you focus on? And he said, I focus on my number. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how's that going? Right? And he's <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's terrible. And so you start, you start to unwind that and, and, and start thinking about what are things that you actually could focus on that if you could repeat over and over and over again, whether it's uh, how you prepare for a meeting, the kind of questions that you ask the meeting, your level of curiosity in the meeting, mm-hmm. um, how you prioritize your time, your your interest and passion for the for the book that you're working on. If you do that and get better at that every day, that's all within your control, right? And so I think that's what Tom and I try and get people to understand because we we do we just we just uh, presented this topic to our virtual sales kickoff and, and Tom likes to start by asking people to annotate because it's obviously all virtual to annotate on, on, on PowerPoint uh, in Zoom, you know, whether you are in control or not in control. And we start with your quota and what Tom about 90 percent of the people, right, say that they think they're in control of whether they're going to hit their quota, right, because you know, they're forecasting, they're reporting, they're, they think that, that, that they, 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 uh, they can control that outcome when really they can only control the inputs uh, right. Whether whether a customer buys from them, whether they leave, whether they uh, have a relationship with with another platform, whatever it might be that that causes them to to buy or not buy from that seller, is totally out of their control. Yeah, it it boils down to the idea of do what you must, let happen what may. If you're controlling your inputs and doing the right thing, so your proposal, mm-hmm. you're tying it to customer value, you're including social proof, you have relevant case studies that you're, um, you know delivering to a customer when you're, when you're making your recommendation, those are all things that are within your control, right? Because you control your thoughts and your actions. So those are all your actions, but you cannot control how, how your prospect receives that proposal. And ultimately that is what will impact your number. So the idea of outcome independence is one that we really try to harp on to our reps to get them to focus on 
um, improving their competencies and mastering their inputs. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a great point. And it, first of all, it's one I'm sure that scares the bejesus out of a lot of sellers when they really think about it is because I, I, don't know, I didn't do it today, but I did it a couple years ago. Um, you know, Googled controlling the sales process. You know, and there were like 300 million returns on it. <laughs> and it's like this, you know, this is sort of the problem that exists in sales is we continue to perpetuate these myths that, well, they're just, they're myths, right? It's like the, one of my favorites is, you know, the myth of the closer. Um, as I tell people, so in business to business sales, you're selling to the enterprise. So how often have you been in the room when the customer makes the decision? Oh, you're the closer. Okay. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and yet we, we continue to train people to believe this. In fact, you know, in SAS, we recruit whole class of salespeople and call them closers. And we wonder why, you know, performance, uh, at least in business-to-business sales, is, is, you know, not good. At least based on the statistics we see. It's, it's like, how do we change, you know, just some of these m- myths, these beliefs, these mindsets? Because I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've, I don't know if I came to it naturally or philosophically or whatever, but I've, it's always been sort of my approach, as you talked about, is all I can control is me and... I want to try to become the best version of myself because I increase the probabilities that how I'm perceived by the buyer is better. But yeah, I can't control that. I can just do the best that I can do. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the things we talk about in, in this presentation is uh, I think people think they can control the sale by talking, right? And and all all of the all of the research that's been done shows that the the reps that are most successful actually are far better listeners, right? And so we, we share, sort of share the, the stoic wisdom uh, uh, around listening twice as much as you talk. And, and uh, it, it, it gets people to at least begin to start letting go of thinking that they do need to control the conversation by talking. Mm-hmm. We all know the more that you're talking, the less you're listening, the less they're actually telling you about their problems, the less you're actually asking layered questions, the less that they're actually building a relationship with you. And then you may leave the sales call thinking that you... It was terrific because you spent the whole time talking, uh, but you you likely learned not as much as you could have, and uh, and didn't it didn't advance uh, the conversation in a way that was productive. But that again, that that idea of uh, of them thinking that it's their job to 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 get to the solution selling and to to really pitch their 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 their, their solution versus spending the time listening um, right. is another one that, that that really kind of hurts their brains a little bit when we first first talk about, it, which is why. Speaking about how this is something that's actually been around for thousands of years, <laughs> this philosophy of, of listening more than you talk isn't something that sales managers and sales coaches created, but uh, it's something that uh, that works in, in, in your life in general. Yeah, Andy, you mentioned earlier, yeah. you know, being being human is kind of the heart of being an effective salesperson, and you know, think about the time in your personal life where you spent 30 minutes with someone and they talked for 25 minutes. Was that a great experience for you? Probably not. And so as a salesperson, we want to flip that script as much as possible and let the the customer talk and explain their thoughts and their situation. And so the idea here, Marcus Aurelius has this quote, practice really hearing what people say, do your best to get inside their minds. As, as most of us are still selling in a remote virtual environment, active listening becomes 
trickier. We have fewer physical cues to key off of. And so it becomes mm -hmm. important to listen for the silence. When someone stops speaking, you know, golden silence, count to three in your head to see if they're going to continue expanding upon their thoughts before jumping in and, and just, you know, listen to understand. Don't listen for your turn to, to speak. Well, I think that's, that's critical, right? I, and I, I think we have this big gap, and I call it the gap between knowing and understanding. Because what we do is we, we deputize sellers to go out and do discovery, quote-unquote, do discovery. And, yeah, they either through following a script or just through habit, they have questions they ask, and they you know, rampage through these questions. They collect this basket full of facts, knowledge, but they don't understand anything. Right, and this is this is you know to the point that the quote about Aurelius is is yeah how do we get people into the mindset to say okay well yeah we need to ask that extra question right we can't just take what the customer says at face value our job is to understand not just know it's to understand and and this is again another it's a, to me it's it's a combination of mindset yes it's certainly a competency but but people have to. We have to make the sellers understand this is this is this is the job. You know, sometimes we we leverage a tool like Ring DNA to be able to listen for just the turn of phrase of "tell me more." Mm -hmm. we, you know, we we teach "tell me more" right. from a layered question perspective, and so it's actually an alert that our managers will get when someone says "tell me more" on a call because we right. want every call. So. Even if you have no, even if you can't think of a great layered question to ask after your customer tells you something, if you just say, "That's really interesting," tell me more about whatever you just said. They'll just keep talking, and they'll tell you more stuff, right? It's not, it's not like you have to have a special notebook of layered questions, which they all want once you once you start training on layered questions. What kind of layered questions are the best layered? Questions? <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, tell me more, and what else can you tell me about that? Uh, from Michael Bunga Stanier's book is yeah. I mean, those are great questions. And it, it addresses this point where, you know, we get this this feedback from studies that Gartner and other people do that, you know, C-level people don't feel they get value from the conversations they have with sales business, you know, B2B salespeople. And there's this underlying assumption in that sort of that sellers need to have a certain level of knowledge to have these conversations with those people. And my belief is, in my own experience, is, well, no, you don't. You just need to have the curiosity to be able to do that. You need to be able to keep asking the questions, tell me more, what else can you tell me about that, until you do reach that level of understanding. I've never run into a customer yet who says, well, that's a stupid question. Or if they see that you're you know, sincerely interested in learning, they'll tell you the answers. Exactly. I mean, what, what, back to your humanity piece, right? What, what do humans love doing? They love talking, right? So the more, the more opportunities you give the customer to show that you're engaged, show that you're curious, to show that you want to learn more, but they're doing the talking, they're going to think mm -hmm. it's a great call. Sure. I mean, uh, but, but yeah, so uh, we, we, we have tried to remove the list of discovery questions to just two or three. And, and they have to be different each time. They're based upon the prep that you've done, the value mm -hmm. methodology that you've worked on to understand what, what you think is important to the customer. But like any conversation, and, and, you know, it, it's got to it's gotta iterate from, from where it starts. And so... Yeah, tell me more is something we we ask for on every call and, and get get notifications when it happens. Yeah. 
So after controlling your perceptions about what you can control or not, then you talk about acceptance. And so let's dive into acceptance because I thought that was was interesting. Um, I don't know, Tom. Yeah, this is this is probably my favorite aspect of, of stoicism and, and one that impacts me both as a, a, a salesperson and especially as a father of two kids under two, amor fati, right? So not merely <laughs> bear what is necessary, but love it and try to accept the situation and, right. and find the opportunity in it. So right. the Stoics have this phrase, uh, the art of acquiescence. And, and I joke that um, I'm more of a math guy, so I call it the arithmetic of acquiescence. And you start with um, what might be your initial reaction to something mm-hmm. and you divide it by a reframe. And that's how right. you get to acquiescence. So in that way, we're reframing obstacles as opportunities. And to ground this into sales, think about, um, you know, we're just starting a new half. Uh, think about a salesperson who either joins a new company or moves on to a new book. And, and they get into the book and they look around and it's filled with dormant accounts or customers that weren't quite mm-hmm. as high potential as, as they might have felt they were sold on. The initial reaction right. is, this is a mess and right. what did I get myself into? But here the Stoics would counsel, you know, reframe to find the opportunity. And so you'd say, this is an opportunity for me to demonstrate my turnaround skills, my sales excellence, an opportunity to experiment with new tactics. Another acceptance uh, tool here is to turn have-tos into get-tos. So your CSM goes out on leave and the initial thought might be, I have to cover all of their work for the next month. Change that to a get to. I get to become more of an expert on the other part of our uh, service model. Mm -hmm. Have to's to get to's is a really big, you know, hack in having a, a positive growth mindset. Right. Well, I mean, on the surface, it sort of sounds like sort of the half glass is the glass half empty or half full type type approach, but it's, it's more than that, though. It is, and and so I'll give a real world one hour ago example here, where um, a rep of mine had a, a a difficult call with a customer, and it didn't go exactly the way she had planned, and she said to me that was somewhere between a bad and really bad call. And so I'm thinking, well, what's the reframe here? And, and the reframe mm-hmm. was, you're going to learn a lot from that call. So looking at it from that angle, it'll be one of the best calls you have all year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it might feel like some mind games, but if you lean into it enough, it will help you have just more positive experiences and stay down on yourself for a shorter amount of time and become more resilient. Yeah, I mean, I sort of look at it like uh, behavior change, right? Is that, yeah, if you look at habits, you know, there's a trigger, right, for a habit, habitual behavior. There's this emotional response is people's, you know, sort of immediate impulse about what to do. But if they acknowledge that they have a choice about how, to react to that, which could be the reframe, um, and then choose a different behavior, then 
yeah, it's sort of what you're talking about, right? It's it's and you do that enough, then this starts becoming second nature for you. Well, and Andy, you talk a lot about on the podcast that so we don't do a great job of, of training sales managers, and you know, it's it's a, it's the reason we actually started this work uh, right with with sales managers before we even brought it to ICs, because it would be very difficult for that rep in the moment to reframe. I mean, she's mm-hmm. relatively inexperienced. She feels personally like she let maybe Tom down or let the customer down, right? And I think if if the if the manager doesn't understand the importance of mindset and the importance of getting her to productively absorb what just happened in a way mm-hmm. that she gets better from it, as opposed to the many non-reframes that I think happen in a lot of those conversations, like you got to do better next time or, right. um, you know, everybody has a tough one, don't worry about it, right? There's nothing that she's learning from that. She's not going to immediately like get better and also think that like she actually did learn something from it, which, which again, it's hard to reframe individually. So this idea of philosophy teachers, all of these different scholars, like it is something that needs to be taught. Something mm-hmm. certainly as an individual, you're constantly learning, you're constantly reading, you're trying to get better, but having someone who can observe and who can, who can help with that reframe, it's so critical. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why we started with, with our, with our sales managers. And I had one of my managers just this week, we kind of have a, a part of our one-on-one where he talks about um, how he's been coaching his ICs and, and mm-hmm. he just started calling it his reframes, right? Because it's so much of, of, of sales coaching and, and being a sales manager is helping those reps through. Because you're going to have a lot of tough calls. You're going to have a lot of moments that don't go as well as you if you wanted to, but right. you've got you've got to reframe and, and, and get better from it. Well, I think part of the, the reframe, part of the role the manager plays in the reframe is, is that you know, a slight example Tom said before is is shifting, reframing, and I have to to I get to is to make them make for the managers to make the ICs feel comfortable that you know this is not there's not a downside right to the I get to right it's it's because it, I think that's always that fear that's why people sort of linger in the I have to side because it feels safer to them and. Somehow you sort of, as managers, you have to say, yeah, you get to, and this, this, that's a positive. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the other part of, of this perceived concept, and you mentioned Ryan Holiday in his books, right? This is, it's the obstacle is the way, right? Like, you want to have hard calls. You, you want to be challenged because that's the only way you're going to get better, and that's the only way you're going to have the kind of breakthrough conversations uh, that, that you want to get to that, that lead to lots of opportunities for your book. So just embracing the idea that this is an obstacle, clearly, but but there's so much you can learn from it. There's ways that you can reframe this conversation, but also the relationship with the customer moving forward and how you're going to respond to what might not have been a great call. And uh, and too often, I think in, in sales and in life, we just like, oh, that sucked. Like I, I'm just going to go, <laughs> you know, whatever, right? And and to sort of push it aside at, and and not embrace the hard stuff. And and a lot of times, the hard stuff are, are those hard calls. Another example that we talk about in, in this acceptance umbrella and a situation that will be familiar to probably all of your listeners is, is getting a quota that feels high. And, you know, the, a universal experience. Yes, uh, the, the initial reaction is something like, I just want, you know, one period of, of normal quota expectations. You can't control that in your current reality. Like, sure, you could leave and try to find... Uh, a new job with lower quota expectations, I don't think you're going to find that. Um, so instead, the, 
the guidance here would be to, to reframe instead of just want, want this, like want what you have, because that is going to help you you know, open up more pathways to success than the closed-minded, just want, feel like you're getting dragged along to a number that you didn't have any control over. Yeah, I mean, it's, so I wonder, how does this serve balance against, because uh, you're talking about controlling inputs, right? And I think one of the big issues in my mind that I see in talking to sellers and yeah, everybody that I engage with on LinkedIn um, is they don't feel like they have control over the inputs, right? That, that, you know, we're increasingly, you know, here are these activity metrics, here are these, you know, here's the one way you're going to do this. Here's our process as opposed to, yeah, people owning, becoming the best version of themselves, finding their, you know, the way that works best for them. That's more aligned with who they are and the strengths they have. Yeah. How do we reconcile that? Well, you probably won't be surprised to realize that Tom and I are not big believers in highly regimented uh, sale processes. <laughs> uh, but we also well, well, believe it or not, no, I didn't know that. That this wasn't a setup question. But go ahead. But we also work in a media business, which is different than than SaaS, and and uh, you know, I, I think it gives a little bit more freedom of motion w- within the kind of. Uh, opportunities that our sellers have. Uh, that said, you know, again, we have sort of our own core sales competencies. We have ways that we hope that uh, our reps will be running calls. And, and um, but within that, we really do create the space for them to, to own that, to own that call and, and to feel like they're making it themse- part of themselves, right? That they're demonstrating their own curiosity. They've done their own research. They're prepared their own questions so that they can, they can really feel empowered to uh, right. connect with that customer. You know, I think when you're in a more SDR drop off to, to this person, to that person kind of relationship, uh, kind of sales motion, th- there is a little bit less of that opportunity to uh, to own your book and to feel like you have you have uh, a sense of opportunity on each call that you're on um, and can kind of create that opportunity a bit from your own individuality. But uh, certainly from the world that Tom and I try and create with our teams, we want to empower and we want to train and make sure they understand the foundations, but that they sort of shine through with, with their own individuality uh, on these calls. Again, it's really the only way to connect and to, and to create opportunity with, with customers. Where's the best way? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would make the argument that notwithstanding the business, that the same opportunity exists within the SaaS world. It's just, yeah, people have, fallen into this this pattern that they think works and but when you really look underneath it's not working and yeah here's something that i think is a sort of an avenue that makes it you know resonates with me it sort of aligns with my own belief is is you know in the power of the individual right because everything starts with the individual whether it's the individual seller or the, the individual customer it's that connection between the two that makes things happen and yet we seem to be living in a world where increasingly people want to sort of minimize the importance of that. What do you think, Tom? I think even within a highly regimented sales motion, there are opportunities for experimentation and individual individuality that you're, that you're mentioning, Andy. So, so Dan and I do our best at least to create an environment of psychological safety and experimentation where you know, one of our pet terms is explore and exploit where mm-hmm. you know, explore a new avenue, and then once you 
uh, find some success. Let's see how we can exploit it a little more. But take uh, an SDR, for example, who might be working on a with a, a set number of scripts and feel like they have limited um, autonomy or ability to to impact them. Like step back, and our, our hope would be that they're able to find ways that they can shape their own individual inputs that can manifest a better you know, reality for not just them, but then the broader organization. So leaning in with a, a learning mindset and experimenting mm-hmm. uh, is something that all sellers can do, even if it feels like they're you know, getting you know, highly regimented behaviors like put on from high. Yeah, and I I don't think it's a problem that's exclusively for SDRs in a SaaS world. I think it's for the AEs as well. Yeah, I I mean, it's almost more understandable with SDRs, and yeah, I'm not shy about saying I think that's more of a marketing role than a sales role anyway. Um, But yeah, I mean, certainly either SDR or AEs is yeah. There's there's definitely room, and I think. It's incumbent upon managers and, and us as an industry, as you know, senior leaders as like Dan and yourself, is to empower these frontline managers to operate less from a position of fear, right? Because I think what they're trying to control, and this is why we get a lot of these behaviors, is that they're in this control mindset and they don't really understand they're not really in control <laughs> and that there is a path that that would lead to better performance if they understood that 100% and i think i think you know you and i Andy, are both sort of uh followers also of of, of charlie green and, and sort of becoming a trusted mm-hmm. seller trusted advisor um i think the more that you try and control right the harder it is to yet anyone to trust you, whether it's in the first 20 seconds of, a, of an SDR trying to call you or an email yep. um, or, or in a longer term uh, uh, sales cycle, right? And so demonstrating some vulnerability, um, uh, uh, demonstrating curiosity, learning mindset, mm-hmm. um, telling a customer that they might not be the right fit for, uh, for, for what you thought you were there to talk about. Right. Incredible uh, opportunity. So I think Giving um, our ICs and our sales managers who are coaching those ICs the understanding that, that we want them to uh, to represent uh, our platform and the opportunities with customers in a way that we're going to work together for years, uh, and there's just there's no reason to, to 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 sell with urgency or fear in a way that's going to to jeopardize um, our opportunity to help them. Uh, right. find value on our platform. So it's something that, uh, the other thing is like, we're in a, I mean, I, I know you've talked about this on some podcasts recently too, but we're, we're in a war for talent, right? Like yeah, you know, to get, uh, to encourage our AEs and CSMs to spend time in our company and, and really learn and develop and grow. We have to do those things, right? We have to give them the freedom to make mistakes, to reframe, to get better, uh, to feel like they're getting great sales coaching from their manager. So if they feel like they're coming in to be controlled and to control their their prospects and their customers, they're just going to go somewhere else. I mean, there's just too much opportunity out there. Yeah, yeah. Or if they come in, well, you wouldn't hire them if they came in with the mindset that that's what they're doing. Um, right. We we interview we, we, we interview right 100% behavioral these days right. to try and find people who are curious, who are creative, who um, 
want to be coached, right? That's something that Tom and I do a lot in our interviews yep. these days. These days is, is actually coach them within the interview process. So yeah, if if we then flip the script and, and are are managing through fear, uh, yeah, it would make no sense. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that managing through fear is just sort of the baseline. Unfortunately, in, in too many companies, is especially as again as we become more dependent sort of on activities and metrics that are more activity based is if you have a class of managers who are under enabled right who are not given the tools who are not you know because most companies aren't linked in they don't have the resources to do that uh, or they don't invest the resources to do that and then they promote you know relatively inexperienced sellers into management roles and they're hanging on for dear life and so we wonder why they sort of have this, they default to this fear-based behavior and, and you know, let me see what, if they can't see a metric for it, they don't know what to do. Well, bring it back to stoicism, which is free for everyone to access. <laughs> right? yeah. You don't need any resources to, 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 That's right. to, to read meditations, right? But the things that you fear are the things that are outside of your control, right? That yeah. the, 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 the time you spend fearing, the time you spend worrying, the time you spend complaining are all the things that are going to hold you back from ultimately being successful. And again, that's not just a, a problem in sales, it's a problem in life, but, but that's why, again, we, we, we think it's so valuable to, uh, to spend time listening to these philosophers from thousands of years ago because uh, the mindset that they encourage is one that will create that freedom, that flow, mm-hmm. that, that allows, with the right training and the right support, um, our, our, our A's, A's and CSMs to be successful. Yeah, I mean, I' a big reader of Emerson and people like that, who are sort of not direct successors, but sort of they had some of the same beliefs uh, the transcendentalists as the Stoics do. With you know, for me, it's the belief in the individual and the the you know power of the individual. And you know, they even 150, 170 years ago, they were railing against conformity, and you know. Sort of the growing forces within the in the United States back in the 1840s that were you know making people feel they had to conform to to get along and it's like yeah it should be given everything that we have at our our fingertips in terms of technology and ability to access other people is uh, conformity should be the least thing we want people to do. Well, I mean, to reflect on LinkedIn for a second, right? I think the if, if you were trying to create content on LinkedIn, right, the more you conform to what people expect. The, the less engagement you're going to get on any of your content, right? The more that you show your own individualism, the more that you you stake mm-hmm. you stake out interesting positions that you challenge widely held beliefs. Uh, the more that people are going to be engaged by your content, want to comment, want to share, want to follow you. And again, I think it's 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 the same in, in sales as well. The more interesting your conversations are with your customers, the more you're able to challenge them over time. The more that you're able to bring them ideas they couldn't come up with on their own, the more successful you're going to be, right? And you can only get there again with the the right mindset and also a sense of, of empowerment that um, that you have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. It, so one thing I hear on occasion is, is and I think this is just on preface, but I think it's dead wrong, is, is on LinkedIn is people saying, look, people just want to, in sales, you know, people just want, they just want to know how to, right? sort of the hack mode. You know, they just want to know how to. They don't want to know the why. And... And I'm like, well, of course they do. <laughs> People want to know the why because that helps them understand 
the how. Um, and, and yet we have all this focus on the how. And, you know, so this philosophical underpinning, you know, people might denigrate by trying to call it theory or whatever. Hey, I mean, I just, my own experiences over, you know, the thousands of sellers that I know personally is those who are most consistently good at what they do have a philosophy about what they do. A personal philosophy. Uh, it's not just you know I've got a checklist of things I follow. There's there's they've got a rationale for how they act, um, and that's why yeah you know, having an underlying philosophy like stoicism or whatever is is I think very important for sellers. Somebody to have something like that that informs their actions about why they're doing why they do and understanding why customers do what they do. Completely, and you know I reflect back on the earlier years in my sales career and I didn't have that perspective necessarily. And it was focused mm -hmm. on the how and, and tactically, how do you ask good discovery questions and tactically, how should you set up a best action commitment or a minimal acceptable action? And as you get the experience, you're able to zoom out and pattern match across your career and oh, mm -hmm. the times that I was doing well and the best deals and partnerships that I developed happened because of this. And you kind of create your, you know, your, your theory on, on selling. And so our challenge as managers here is to help encourage the team members who are newer in their career, or earlier in their sales career mm -hmm. to identify their own theory. It's not to instill that upon them. And, you know, right. as, as we've mentioned many times, like we have a sales methodology and we have sales competencies that we encourage everyone to adopt, mm -hmm. but um, zooming out to what you talk about the why is like, why is this important to me? Why am I good at this? And, and yep. why am I the right person for this role? And when that comes in and whether it's from stoicism or, or some other uh, philosophical grounding, that's what really is going to allow someone to level up in, in their sales career. Yeah, and I, I wrote about this on LinkedIn, surprise, surprise, not that long ago, which is, I call it as every seller should write their own sales book, right? Not literally a book, but, you know, sit down and write why they do what they do. To your point you just had is, is have, understand what your philosophy is, why the things you do work for you, and extend it as why do you think customers respond to you in a certain way. Uh, granted, we know we don't have control over that, but you know you have a, a base of experience. What are the things you think you do that that elicit those responses and perceptions, and write it down? I mean, I think that it's such an important step for sellers is to to intellectualize this. I mean, not to sound too highfalutin, but I think that it's it's important. It gives you a, a real grounding in understanding why what you do works or doesn't work. I mean, to, to tie that into Stoicism, right? I mean, the Stoics are, are, are a huge fans of journaling, right? Mm -hmm. and, and reflecting and, uh, and, and keeping a journal every day. And, and I think you, you could take that idea and turn it into a sales journal, right? Something that right. you reflect on, reflect on every day. And, and you know, that person that I told the story about earlier uh, in the podcast, right? one of the things that we did work on was writing down at the end of the day the, the, the things that were most important. That, that he needed to focus on tomorrow and the things didn't go as well today that, that he can improve on, right? And just that idea of starting and ending your day with some journaling and some reflecting. So yeah, I love the idea of, of the sales book or a sales journal, as long as it's focused on the things that that, that salesperson controls, right? Right. So if, you know, 
if the journal is all about how the, the customer didn't like them or that their book sucks or that their quote is too high <laughs> or that their manager gives them a hard time, you know, sure, you, if, if, it, if you feel like it's important to get that out of your system, you could certainly put that in your journal. But the, the, the Stoics would argue to, to focus your journal on, on your reflections on the day, the things that you, that you control, the things that you did well, the things you want to do better, what you learned from it, similar to the, to the call that Tom talked about, so that when you start the day tomorrow, um, you'll have that, and then you'll you'll be able to move forward. Yeah. Well, there's one thing from the Daily Stoic I had taken out a long time ago, which you know applies so directly to sales, and it connects to what we've been talking about. Is um, the quote is "Listen and connect with people. Don't perform for them." And yeah, my belief is that in the hands of many sellers, sales has become very performative. And they're encouraged to do that by some people, which I, I think, again, is, is wrong. Because, yeah, you're not, you're not connecting if people think that you're performing for them. And that performing goes to you know, pitching, you know, heavy-handed persuasion techniques, and so on. Uh, just the opposite of what increases the odds that the customer will have a good perception of what you're doing. So again, it's totally true. Um, Ring DNA, I'm sure, has data on it as well, right? Like that mm-hmm. literally the less you perform, the more you listen, <laughs> the less you talk, the more the more successful you are at closing deals, right? I mean, it's just like the data is there, right? So you, you think that someone wants a show, and especially in our virtual world, right? Nobody Nobody has the attention span to, to watch a performance on Zoom, right? If they're not talking, if you don't have them engaged, if they're sitting back, there's too many screens, right? They're looking at their oh, Gmail, yeah. they're doing whatever it is that, that is on their other screen, right? So I think especially in, in a virtual world, you have to have them talking. You're, you have to be asking those tell me more questions. Uh, and But yeah, in my, in my old life, before, before I came to LinkedIn, I, I worked on the consulting side and yeah, there'd be presentations where you would go and try and win a piece of business and we would talk for 50 of the 60 minutes. Yep. And I'd leave it like, well, there's no chance we're going to win this, right? Because yeah. a, all we did was talk and, and we didn't learn anything, right? And, and uh, so um, it's worse, I think, in that space than even in sales. But, uh, but <laughs> Well, that's because they have to show how smart they are. They think they're being paid for how smart they are. <laughs> certainly not when you're trying to pitch someone's business. And so, yeah, we, we, um, we love the ability to, to, to be able to look at how, how much silence there is on a call to, uh, to, uh, to see who's talking more on the call and, and then to look for those, those great layered questions like tell me more. so that Because you, yeah. you can't perform if you're, if you're asking questions like that. But, yeah. Right. Um, what, what, one of my favorite uh, quotes on this is from Epictetus. He says, we have, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. Yep. Right. So. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, all right. Well, guys, we sort of run out of time, but uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, yeah, I love this whole topic of, of yeah, stoicism, but yeah, under, under philosophy undergirding what you do. Everybody could benefit from it. You know, some people, it may be religion. That's fine. But yeah, something that's, you're intentional about the way you act in the world. I mean, I remember once hearing this interview once with this uh, psychiatrist who was saying, you know, you can't control how you feel, but you can control what you do with the feelings you have. And, you know, it's along the same lines, right? Is, is yeah, so you're going to have certain things that happen to you. You're going to feel certain ways. But you have a choice 
about what you're going to do with those. And yeah, just being deliberate and intentional is, is really important. Yeah, every, every minute worried. Every minute you worry is a minute you wasted, right? So, well, yeah. I mean, I've I've referenced this on the show before, but I just remember reading this the survey results in a news article. I don't know, sometime within the last five six years, where they asked people age sixty five and over, what's their biggest regret in life? And the number one answer, I think, is two thirds of people responded, "I worried too much." Well, thanks for yeah. yeah. Thanks for having us on, Andy. I, I, you can it's see been a pleasure. Not, we love talking about this. Yeah, and people want to follow us on LinkedIn. We're we're going to keep talking about stoicism and sales, so they're welcome to do that. I'm sure that they will. LinkedIn. We all know where that is. Awesome. Dan Horowitz, Tom Eschbacher. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll make sure people we'll encourage people to follow you as well. So awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, Dan Horowitz and Tom Eschbacher, for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.